<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America Podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now, here he is, the Peabody Award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of The Great America Show. The Russian invasion of Ukraine is becoming deadlier and more destructive by the day. Women and children are fleeing Ukraine as more men join the resistance to Russian forces. Casualties on both sides are rising, and Vladimir Putin is apparently and reportedly furious that his military is not meeting his expectations of a timetable in which to seize Kiev, the Ukrainian capital. Western military analysts say they worry that Putin will resort to deadlier and even more fearsome bombs and weaponry to accelerate the Russian occupation. Geopolitical strategists, for the most part, regard NATO and U.S. sanctions to this point as weak and ineffective. A few days into this invasion, NATO is exposed as a hapless semblance of a military alliance. Many member states, including especially Germany, clearly intent on remaining passive and out of the fray. Joining us today, leading national security and intelligence experts, KT McFarlane and Fred Flights. KT is a former deputy national security advisor who studied Russia and the former Soviet Union. And Fred was chief of staff for the National Security Advisor. He worked for the CIA for 25 years, also at DIA and the State Department. Thank you both for being with us. KT, how does the Ukraine crisis look to you as it stands right now? Well, I think Putin has to wrap it up very quickly. Um, He's got maybe another 24, 48 hours to establish control over the Ukraine government. If it, if it drags on, it's either because he's going to look incompetent, you know, are you getting blowback as Ukraine, a mighty Ukrainian army, giving the Russian army some problems, or if there's a lot of civilian casualties, and then he's going to look like a nasty little bully. So I think it has to wrap up very quickly. Now, the question, the bigger question is, how is Putin able to do it? And what's the response of the world? I put a lot of this at the foot of President Biden. When he came into office, oil was at $40 a barrel. And lethal arms were being given to the Ukrainians. And the leverage that Russia had over the world was was more or less insignificant. But once President Biden canceled the American energy industry, oil, natural gas, what happened predictably was the price of oil doubled. That means Vladimir Putin's rich again. Money in his coffers, wars are expensive. But most importantly, it gave him leverage over the Europeans, especially Germany. So there's really nothing anybody can do without the Germans, and the Germans aren't willing to do it. And, uh, and Fred, your outlook? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really heartened to see the, the, the brave Ukrainian people fighting back against the Russians. I think it's a hopeless cause. They're, they're greatly outmatched. I think there will be some significant Ukrainian casualties. I was skeptical there'd be such a large invasion because once Russia took control of the country and installs a a puppet government, which I think is likely, what then? 
the, the last puppet government that uh, Putin installed was overthrown in 2014. I think there's going to be an insurgency movement. I think there's going to be mass demonstrations. I just don't see this ending well uh, for Putin. I mean, there are protests in Moscow. They're, they're not widespread. But uh, this, I, I think that, you know, Putin may take control of the country in the short term. But in the long term, I, I don't see where this is going. And the short the, the, the short term uh, here is is critically important. But it's also difficult to see what the long term is when he's already moved beyond the boundaries of uh, Dombos and uh, has gone beyond what were his original claims. Yeah, I think he's going to you know, see how Ukraine goes. I'm sure he's trying to figure it out. If Ukraine is relatively easy for him, and it's pretty clear the Germans aren't going to do anything to help Ukraine, not a NATO member, of course, but could Putin push it one step further? Could he decide, well, it's an easy militarily, it's quite an easy operation to, to take that there's a corridor that goes, um, goes from Russia to the Baltic Sea, and it would cut off those three very small Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, historically Russian-owned and controlled uh-huh. states. So maybe he makes a decision to do that. He could do it within a couple of hours, and then he presents NATO with a fait accompli. There he's taken part of NATO, he's dismembered NATO, and what's NATO going to do about it? And again, I'm very concerned that because of the, of the energy blackmail that the Russians can do, especially over Germany, that the NATO members are going to hem and haw, maybe they'll need it but they won't actually do anything to honor the Article 5 of the NATO treaty, which is an attack against one, is an attack against all. I think Putin, at this point, I think Putin's going for the whole thing. I think he's going to try to break the back of NATO. Do you agree, Fred? I think it's unlikely that Putin is going to attack NATO states or send troops into NATO territory, but we have to uh, reaffirm our strong support for NATO and make that less likely. But, you know, looking at this from another perspective, Biden has handled this so badly in many ways, and one of which is the constant demonizing of Putin, demonizing of the Russians, throwing these sanctions out that that Biden doesn't intend to uh, impose or or Putin doesn't intend to to deal with. Donald Trump understood that we had to coexist with Russia. He was tough on the Russians, uh, but I, I think he understood that as the nation with the largest nuclear arsenal on earth, demonizing them and, and, and calling them out. And, 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 you know, basically, I mean, Trump didn't come out and, and, and say that uh, Putin is a killer like, like Biden did. What was the purpose of that? We're making the situation worse by alienating Putin, driving him towards China. And, and I think it would be better not, I mean, I want to see strong sanctions against Putin for what happened in Ukraine but we need to find a way to bring Putin into Europe and to start engaging him so he won't consider what might be a disastrous move, such as moving into, into a NATO country. I think that's unlikely, but we can't let him go down that road. Uh, you know, I think that's a really important point to make. Um, I wrote my undergraduate, this is actually graduate, doctoral dissertation on China, Russia, the Sino-Soviet alliance. And the fear we've always had in American foreign policy is the two of them together ganging up against the United States. In the 50s and 60s, it wasn't much of a gang up because there was nothing to China, although the Soviet Union was quite strong. Um, but today, the gang up is really different because it's Russian natural resources and energy, Russian military equipment, 
married up to Chinese technology and Chinese money. And that is a formidable national security threat to the United States that, frankly, I, I don't think we can deal with alone and, and prevail. And so I, the point that Fred is making, that we should not push Russia into the arms of the Chinese, I think is an important one. And early on in the Trump administration, we understood China was never going to be a country that wanted to coexist as it equals with us, but Russia might. And that's why the effort initially would have been to see if there was a way we could work and cooperate with the, with the Russians over something. Maybe it's only terrorism, maybe it leads from there. But to prevent them from falling into the happy and open arms of the Chinese. Sadly, the whole Russiagate, um, faux Russiagate accusations made against President Trump really made it politically possible for any American leader to have a relationship with Russia. And I think as a result, we push Russia into the open arms of China. Uh, I do not understand how Germany uh, and all of Europe could be so uh, blind to the threat that is now sitting on their doorstep uh, in Ukraine uh, without reacting. Uh, And for both the United United States and the European nations to ignore, you talked about not being NATO nations, they, the Ukrainians have the Budapest uh, memorandum uh, on their walls right now, an agreement that the United States will stand up for them. And that as a result of a deal, as you both well know, uh, mm-hmm. to exchange uh, those security guarantees for their nuclear weapons, which they did. Yeah, Howard, no, we- I mean, why is there no discussion of that agreement? that profound commitment on the part of the United States and other uh, nations to defend this country. I, I, I agree that, that that agreement is significant, but... Look, and I don't, I don't by the way, I, the last thing I want is this country in a war because we don't have a very good track record over the last 20 years uh, in, in war, even with third world nations, for crying out loud, let I mean, alone the second most powerful nuclear uh, state hear- in the world. Look, I'm, I'm with the American First Policy Institute, Lou, and one of our objectives is keeping our country out of unnecessary wars, not stopping more, more war, starting more wars. We don't like what's going on in Ukraine, but we, the U.S. does not have strategic interests there. I don't want to see U.S. troops in Ukraine. We have to use diplomacy, persuasion, uh, sanctions. Uh, but, I mean, there are members of Congress who would send U.S. troops in there right now, and I'm I mean, Biden has a lot of flaws, but fortunately, he. My under- reaction to that, by the way, Fred, would be hell no. Well, fortunately, Biden understands that, that he simply can't do that. And look, that would risk a nuclear war with Russia. And I'm, yeah. I, I talk to so many journalists who wonder why we're not sending U.S. troops into oh, Ukraine. God. They don't understand this. Oh. Well, they just want a good story. Look, I think it's time to take a, out of the Reagan playbook and think outside the box. All right, so here we have a fait accompli, China, Russia together, Europe vacillating on who it supports and when. We should take note of the situation that the United States is sitting on the greatest reservoir of energy in the history of the world Um, between our shale oil, shale, natural gas. We can not only become energy self-sufficient for ourselves, which we were a year ago, but we could really power the world. We could replace Russia. We could replace the Middle East. And so Russia has now shown the Europeans it's a pretty unreliable supplier of your energy needs. Half of Europe 
energy needs are met by Russia. And then the Russians have made it pretty clear they'll turn it on, they'll turn it off, it'll use it as a political and economic weapon to get what they want. So maybe we can take this dire situation and turn it to our advantage, which is maybe not with President Biden, but the next American president, turn back on the American energy industry, set ourselves up as a, an energy hub for the world. You know, the original Canada-U.S.-Mexico trade agreement was always meant to be the beginning step to then be built out with an energy consortium of the three nations, the sort of um, OPEC of North America, if you will. Maybe the rest of the world, which thought Russia was going to be pretty benign in supplying energy, now the rest of the world sees it's not. And this could be our moment. Uh, it, it could be our moment, but then again, that would take, uh, by the way, uh, that's K.T. McFarland, former Deputy National Security Advisor. Uh, we're talking with her and we're talking with Fred Flight, Senior Fellow at the America First Institute. Uh, I, I mean, that's, a, I, I think, a wonderful idea. But I do think we have to recognize that the personality who is in the White House right now is that an out-of-the-box thinker nor is anyone in his immediate, uh, his proximate uh, range in, in the White House. It is very difficult to imagine this White House, which has done everything wrong to this point, suddenly confronted with Russia uh, in uh, Kiev, uh, the, the capital of uh, Ukraine, suddenly coming to his senses and doing something masterful and a, a bold stroke, like you just suggested, which I think is terrific. I, I just think the reality overwhelms us. Your thoughts, well, Fred? Well, you know, KT is right. We have to re fully restore American energy production, but there's a limit to how much we can help Europe because getting our natural gas to Europe is difficult. There's enormous infrastructure investments. We can't begin to replace the amount of natural gas the Russians are providing. And part of this effort to counter Russia's stranglehold on energy is to get the Europeans to start producing energy again. Germany shut down all its nuclear plants. It's phasing out its oil-fired uh, electricity plants. The Germans are a big cause of this problem. Now, maybe there are other sources of natural gas in Africa and the Middle East that could somehow uh, be, be piped or brought to Germany. But at the end of the day, the Germans are helping fuel the Russian war machine because it shut down its energy industry. And this is a problem in every European state except for the UK and France. France, uh, for some reason, has a robust nuclear program, but uh, they are a little unique there. This administration hasn't figured out the basic economics. And that tells you that this is a poorly served president and certainly uh, this White House uh, is serving poorly the American people. Uh, we have a, a difficult time in front of us because there's no one in Congress, not Mitch McConnell, not Kevin McCarthy, uh, with the heft, uh, the leadership and the vision to stand up and, and be wise men. Uh, instead, they're, they're simply hacks, and that's where we are. Yeah, I think if anybody's looking for answers from Washington, look again. You're not going to get anything from Washington, frankly, from either political party. That's why I think a lot of us should put our efforts into the states, the state and local government grassroots as the ideas factory and the people factory for the next round. But, you know, I mean, here's the thing. It's, it's going to be bad. OK, for the next couple of years, it's going to be really bad. If Republicans take the House and the Senate a year from now. The good news is it comes along with subpoena power. And what that means is they can subpoena every everything from Hunter Biden's laptop 
to the Justice Department's memoranda of going after housewives at school board meetings. And you could tie them up into a lot of knots so that they couldn't do a lot of problems and get in a lot of trouble. And then in a Republican administration coming in in the 2024 election, whether that's President Trump coming back or someone like President Trump, the policies will be roughly the same. And that it's a bit late in the game, but it's still a time to have that out of the box original thinking. And, and you know, the thing is that, I mean, Lou, you're so right when you say, who are these people? Don't they understand the basic aspects of, of the economy? I was with someone um, when President Biden was saying, uh, had made a statement saying, well, the Russians, the Russians aren't going to dare shut down the energy pipelines because they need that income. And the man, the Wall Street guy turned to me and said, does he not understand the basic fundamental principles? Biden doesn't have to, you know, the Russians don't have to shut it down. They'll just sort of maybe take 95% online. And then the price of oil will go through the roof. It'll double. So the Russians will get twice as much money for half as much product. And again, I really do think that they're almost criminally incompetent in the Biden administration. I don't think there's any almost uh, based on the Durham investigation and the role of the new uh, uh, national uh, uh, security advisor who seemed to have been a very active fellow through uh, the campaign of 2016 through four years of the Trump administration. Uh, but now he's, he's at Biden's knee. It's truly frightening. Let, let, let's talk about this issue of uh, elemental logic and just rudimentary knowledge about uh, the world. This administration betrays not even those low levels of capacity, uh, and it makes it very difficult to understand why the national left-wing corporate media can stand there and listen to him prattle on uh, when they know full well nothing he's saying makes any sense whatsoever. For example, he applies sanctions to Russia for the reasons that you just described, KT. But he doesn't shut the Russians out of SWIFT, the clearinghouse, the uh, financial information clearinghouse uh, for export-imports, international trade, uh, which would uh, shut down a sizable portion uh, of his revenue, maybe as much as 50% of it, maybe maybe even slightly more. Uh, He doesn't in any way call upon the United States to end its imports of Russian oil, which amount to 15% of our oil now, which, by the way, is only half as much oil as would have been transported by the Keystone Pipeline that he killed. And uh, Go figure. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's madness that emanates. There is nothing but dark days that result when this White House takes, uh, takes action. Lou, Lou I want to give you a relate. Disturbing. Yeah, I want to give you a related example. It might make you mad. You may heard yesterday that John Kerry said that he's worried that the Russia-Ukraine conflict will distract from climate change. This is such a significant statement because it just shows the the frivolous, unserious national security policy of this administration. It's why we have this crisis in Ukraine, and this is certainly the belief of every member of the Biden administration, that the idea that Kerry would say that while Ukrainians are dying because of this Russian invasion, it, it says everything about where we are. Well, of course, first of all, he, he is, he's a, he's a laughing stock of his own party. 
of even the green element of his own party, but certainly the rest of America knows him to be completely, completely an oaf on this issue. <laughs> and, and I just can't, I can't comprehend the tolerance of the, of the American people putting up with a party like the Democrats. They are responsible for, for theft, for lies, uh, stealing, uh, trying to overthrow presidents. And I mean, it, I don't know what it would take to be embarrassed to be a Democrat. But if the last, last six years haven't done it, I don't know what will. Do you, Katie? Well, here's the thing. When you were mentioning it earlier about the corporate media and how they're not really doing their job, right? They're not holding truth to power. Oh, What's no, happened no, no, in the I country? Know, I'm sorry. I, I, they are doing their job. They're propagandists. They're well, okay, doing they their become job. propagandists. Not their, not their real job, which is yeah, to speak right. truth to power. They're doing their new paid job. But exactly. the country's voting. You know, Lou, you taught me years ago, look at the ratings, look at the ratings. So what are the ratings of places like CNN, right? 400,000 people a day watch CNN? My God, they're down to friends and immediate family watching CNN. And the future <laughs> of me, media and the future of news, of how news gets taken from one place to the people, I think is what you're doing, is podcasts. So I'm not so worried about the legacy media, because frankly, nobody's listening to them. Certainly no. nobody under the age of 40 is paying a hoot of attention to them. And as far as sort of the cycles, you know, Lou, I don't know if I ever told you this, but so when I was in the Trump administration, I got slapped around pretty hard by the Mueller people, really yes, hard, I, in fact. And they tried to, you witnessed it. And they tried to break me, and they tried to get me to plead guilty to crimes I did not commit. Then he wanted me to implicate President Trump in crimes he did not commit. And at the end of the day, I looked at my husband and I said, oh, my gosh, you know, we're hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt for legal fees. Maybe I should just give them what they want. And Alan said, no, you can't do that. You'll never live with yourself. So I went back to the Mueller people and said, no, no, I'm just not going to lie. Well, they finally went away. But what it made me do was just, I was just so frazzled by my, I figured my career was over, my life was over, but what had happened to my country? So we went away to the most remote part of Western Scotland, and I tried to think about what's happened to America. And I realized that we go through these periods every 40 years where we have a major political civil war inside the United States, and that that's what we're going through now. And it's nasty when it happens. And it usually happens around times of great changes, uh, demographic changes, technological changes, changes in how people make a living, changes in how people communicate with each other. And at the end of the day, though, America reinvents itself. And I think that's what's happening now. So nasty as it is, when you say six years of this idiocy, yeah, guess what? And it's going to be another two years. And then we're not going to hear from those people for another generation. So oh, I do have the... Confidence that American, not led by Washington, but by the grassroots, will uh, it, make a real change in the next year in the election and then certainly in the next two years. That's exactly right. We have an American president who drew a red line on Ukraine and Putin ignored it. And he said, look, if the Russians break this red line, the toughest sanctions ever will be implemented. That didn't happen. We know that yesterday. But let me tell you something that I've been talking about lately. The sanctions that President Trump put against Iran included the uh, the SWIFT sanctions, and, and that happened over the objections of the Europeans. But Trump wouldn't let them get out of it. He insisted that we use the, that we use the SWIFT sanctions, 
And as a result, the sanctions that President Trump put on Iran are much tougher than the sanctions that Biden has announced against Russia, right. even after we have all this death and destruction that the Russians are committing in Ukraine. And I think the media should be asking this of the Biden White House. Why are your sanctions against Russia weaker than President Trump's sanctions against Iran? They're tougher. President Trump was tougher. President Trump was smarter. Uh, President Trump couldn't be told what to do by the Wall Street establishment nor corporate America nor the radical left, which, uh, you know, and, and for those, uh, that group of uh, establishment interests, uh, the Democratic Party is their political action arm. It's that simple. And, and to have President Obama come out and say, please, let's, uh, let's all embrace uh, sacrifice and pain for this president uh, and for President Biden, let's really show great unity you know, he never said a word even suggesting in, in any way implying that he would like to see that as a result with Donald Trump. <laughs> it is pretty, really does take a lot of nerve, doesn't it, to say that? Look, I think it, Donald it, Trump is a, was such a great president in so many ways. And the number of things he was right on and the fact that he, in spite of the, of the attacks against the media, in spite of the attacks against the deep state, in spite of the attacks against the intelligence community, the things that Donald Trump was able to accomplish in four years are, are legendary. And that's why I love to listen to Donald Trump now when he talks about the future. And because, again, he has this unerring instinct to get to the absolute core of what's important. Um, at the end of the day, I don't think anybody's going to pay a whole lot of attention to President Biden or President Obama. There'll be a little footnote in the history books, but not in a big way. Do you think, do you think, Fred, that uh, that we're going to see anything come of this overture? Apparently, at least a proffered possibility by the Russians that there be talks in Belarus. It's not the most neutral ground I, I would have imagined uh, the Ukrainians would have sought, but at least it would be a beginning of discussions between Ukraine and Russian officials. Any hope? I think that's probably coming because the, the Biden administration is desperate for some type of diplomatic solution, a solution which will be a complete sellout by us, but they will claim it's a victory, just like the, the nuclear deal with Iran. I, I don't think the Biden administration has any clue about what to do in Ukraine, and they're desperate to find an off-ramp. Well, it's also interesting because having seized the Chernobyl uh, nuclear, what is a reserve now because of its uh, disastrous uh, environmental uh, potential, uh, the greatest threat to the environment, frankly, anywhere in the world, even uh, uh, even greater than Fukushima uh, Daiichi in, uh, uh, in Japan. This, this may indicate that there's a problem there because higher radiation levels have been detected. So that makes me wonder. I always wonder what motivates people because there's usually something and it's usually something that's not obvious. That could be one. Uh, amongst the others uh, is the reported, rumored, vast reserves of natural gas in Ukraine, which are said to be much larger than any other place in the world. Except for the United States. Well, if, if that was true and, and if Ukraine could 
maintain its sovereignty, it really would be a game changer because right now it's completely dependent upon imports of natural gas from Russia. And the Russians laud this over them and overcharge them for gas. Uh, so I think this would be a game changer. And you're right, it would be ironic that uh, Ukraine didn't get adequate support from the United States or from or from Europe in defending itself uh, against Russia. And then this uh, huge windfall of energy is, is discovered that the Russians will probably seize control of. Yeah, and, it's, and the irony goes on, because this would be much akin to the same irony as the United States surrendering KT in Afghanistan and turning uh, de facto, turning over uh, vast uh, uh, stores of rare earths, which we all desperately need. Uh, and now it's in China's hands, which already has the world's largest uh, uh, deposits of rare earths. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, I actually, with regard to Eastern Ukraine and the oil and gas reserves, I talked to a couple of um, energy guys who had been part of a team that one of the major oil companies had sent to Ukraine after the fall of the Iron Curtain to look over and, and to see, well, what was, was there anything there that long been thought of that there would be these vast um, reserves? And he said, yeah, there actually are. There are great and vast natural gas reserves, less oil. Um, and he said, but we determined that it wouldn't be profitable to extract them because of the corruption. <laughs> The corruption from Ukraine and, you know, potentially whatever the Russian yeah. corruption was going to be. So it's there. It's just got to be uncorrupted by the politicians. There, I, I think that's right. And, and look, uh, people say that Ukraine is a democracy and democracy is being eclipsed there. It is a uh, democracy of sorts. Uh, may, maybe we'll call it an evolving democracy, but there's enormous corruption <laughs> And, yeah. and, and the right, I mean, they, there are uh, politicians who are in prison for expressing views that the government didn't like. The country has its problems. And the Russians are, of course, using this to justify the, the invasion, which is just so absurd when we see uh, people protesting for peace in Moscow who are being arrested and beaten. Uh, it, it, um, it's really an absurd situation. You know, I, and I mean, this only as a joke, but you know how to tell if uh, Ukraine is corrupt. Uh, you know, has Joe Biden ever spent any time there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Left wing <laughs> corporate owned media. <laughs> it, it's it's I, I I tell you it's it's just a it, it's maddening to think of what has been uh, permitted here uh, by just bad choices. Uh, we know what Putin is. We know what Russia is. We knew what Ukraine was. Lou, I think I really have a lot of confidence that if Republicans take the House and the Senate and get the subpoena power, they are chomping at the bit to investigate the, all the wrongdoings, whether it's part of the Clinton campaign, the Obama administration, certainly the Biden administration will be a ripe opportunity. And so I think they're really waiting to do They were pretty stunned at how the Democrats have treated them for the last four and six years. I think they're ready to, for payback time. And so, yes, I do have confidence that it will go somewhere. Yeah, I, 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 I'll turn to you in just a second, Fred, as I just insert this. I, and I, and I, this is just a bald face uh, point of view on my part. Uh, I'm being straightforward for a change, KT. As long as Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy are the leaders of the majority in the House and the Senate, not anything will change whatsoever in this country. It will be a vote for fraud, 
fraudulent leaders who are more aligned uh, in the case of McConnell, he's more aligned with the Democratic Party than he is the uh, America First uh, Republican Party, the Trump uh, Republican Party. Hell, he's more aligned with China uh, than with yeah. them. I, how do you how do you overcome that uh, without a change of leadership and a purge of these rhinos from the Republican Party? Well, I think that, but Lou, if Donald Trump is, he's been very active in supporting candidates for the House and the Senate. And I think he's doing what I think he's doing God's work. I think he's doing it terrifically. He's doing a really good job at it. So I think if a lot of the new Republicans are Trump Republicans, that that problem may take care of itself. Because either those individuals you referred to are going to get the message and get on the program or they're going to get out. They won't be elected to their leadership positions. What I'm really looking forward to after the elect the midterm election is giving the people's house back to the people. I go to the Hill sometimes for meetings and you can't go into to the offices of your elected representative without an escort and an appointment. And, and this is how it goes. You, you call the staff and you, if you can get hold of the staff member of the, of the member of Congress, many of them have answering machines. You can't even get people on the phone. The staff will meet you in the lobby. Everybody has to wear masks. They take you to the desk for an ID card. And after you leave the desk, the Republican staffer says, you can take your mask off now. It's it's this kabuki dance. You know, the Republicans don't wear the mask in the hallways, in the elevators. They just wear them in the lobby where they're near the police. And they laugh about this. This has to go. And th- this nonsense, these fences around the Capitol, the metal detectors in the House, there's just so much, there, there are so many abuses of power by Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, I just can't. And, I mean, and Joe Biden, and Barack and, and Obama, Joe Biden. and the entire radical dim uh, power structure and political party. I they can't are, wait till the fences come down, the masks are gotten rid of, the people can come into the Capitol Visitors Center, they can walk in and see their representative. You've seen this, so you've seen uh, groups of school children, they go to the Capitol, they go into the lobby, their member of Congress, they wait there for the for the member to come out to wave at them. That doesn't happen anymore because of Pelosi. And it's been gratifying to see efforts lately uh, by parents to throw out these far left uh, woke characters on school boards who are destroying our schools. And when this happened in San Francisco, this really is a, a, an alarm bell that Americans are fed up. And if in one of America's most liberal cities has happened, I'm hoping, I'm hoping this will happen thousands of times uh, uh, this November when the American people try to take back our schools from the far left. Yep. Uh, Fred, this has been a fascinating conversation with you and KT, and I really appreciate your time. I want to, if I may, uh, conclude with your assessment of what happens next. Uh, Are we consigned to what looks like an obvious Russian takeover of Ukraine, not just simply uh, the uh, disputed and separatist uh, provinces uh, that he has declared to be independent, but all of Ukraine? I think Russia will take take control of Ukraine, but its control will be unstable. There'll be an insurgency. I don't think Russia is going to try to in, invade NATO, but I do believe that we may be facing a new Cold War. And this is almost entirely because of the incompetence of Joe Biden, who doesn't understand 
that uh, we have to find a way to coexist with the Russians. We simply can't demonize them, threaten them, draw red lines we're not going to, to uh, enforce. Um, we have to have another way, and I regret we're not going to see another way until there's another president. Uh, will that president be uh, an America first president? Will it be Donald Trump? And will the Republican Party remain steadfastly Donald Trump's party? Well, uh, uh, I, I will be rejoining the administration if it's Mr. Trump. Proudly so. I have uh, I I really thought it was an honor to work for him the first time. And I, I think there's a lot that he could do. Uh, so let's let's just see what happens. Um, you know, we, ha we have a lot of work to do between now and then to educate the American people on what is really at stake in the 2022 and 2024 election. Thanks, Brad. And thank you, KT. We appreciate you being with us. Dangerous days and uncertain times. We appreciate your sharing your views and insights. KT McFarland, Fred Flights, thank you. And thank you for listening, for being with us. We hope you'll join us tomorrow as we continue our focus on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We'll be talking with General Keith Kellogg, former National Security Advisor to Vice President Mike Pence, retired Lieutenant General, and Judicial Watch's Tom Fitton. We thank you. God bless you. And God bless America. Join us again tomorrow for the Great America Podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds.